This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Warning, this podcast contains explicit language and details acts of violence. Listener discretion is advised. The East Los Angeles Sheriff's Station has seen several generations of deputy gangs come and go over the years. On August 29, 1970, the Little Red Devils beat hundreds of people demonstrating against the Vietnam War with batons. Some were shot and killed. Their tactics were immortalized in the Fort Apache logo, which depicts a riot helmet and a boot. Around it are the words, low profile, and siempre una patada en los pantalones, or always a swift kick in the ass. The logo can be seen on hats, t-shirts, and other gear worn by deputies. It was even put into a mural in the floor of the East LA station. After the Red Devils came the Cavemen, whose membership allegedly includes former undersheriff Timothy Murakami. Once the Cavemen membership had promoted up or moved on, the Banditos emerged. LA is not safe! This is a tradition of violence, a history of deputy gangs inside the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Earlier this year, I met with someone who encountered the very first banditos. He wanted to remain anonymous, so I'm going to call him Leo. Leo was born and raised in the Boyle Heights neighborhood, specifically White Fence, which is also the name of one of the oldest gangs in LA. He's an incredible artist. He paints, draws, and sketches portraits, landscapes, and anything else you could think of. He was also known for doing freehand tattoos. Like lots of other young Hispanic men in East L.A., Leo was frequently harassed by sheriff's deputies. They dragged my family out by gunpoint. One time looking for my ass, and they, they got me. There was nothing we could do to change it anyways at the time, you know, we were just youngsters. And if, given, the, given those rules, if that's the way it is, then that's the way it is. One day when Leo was about 18, in the early 1980s, he was detained by deputies and beaten inside of the East L.A. Sheriff's Station. They beat the living crap out of me. I mean, just really, yeah, tore me up bad. 
And two cops, they grabbed my arms from either side, and the cops stood in front of me. What's your name? <laughs> Boom. Until finally it was just, fuck you. <laughs> it didn't matter what I said. He was just, you know, they were just going to town on my ass. I, I remember just waking up in the cell. I didn't want that to keep going. A friend of his reached out with a business opportunity. This friend lived in the Maravilla projects, and their home was frequently raided by sheriff's deputies. The friend said that a few deputies he knew wanted to get tattoos. Leo thought this could be the thing that made the beatings stop. At that time, I said, all right, if I do tattoos on these cats, they'll they'll get to know me. He's up, maybe. Leo's friend had him and the four deputies come to his house one night. Oh, what guys? Big guys, too, you know what I'm saying? I thought they were on steroids or something. You can't help but be nervous around them cats, you know? I didn't trust them for shit, so I was like, you know... Just get to do this, you know. Did you come up with the design yourself? I drew it right then and there. But they gave me the description. They wanted a sarape, the blue belts, a sheriff, the sheriff's badge, and with the gun. So drew it up. And the sheriffs wanted to keep the pattern because they, you know, in case they got new guys to get the same design. I remember the thing was because what they wanted was a bandito, and I thought, you know, the big the Mexican hat, right? I said, Nah, man, we're Mexicans. A hat that would be like Clint Eastwood wore in the, in the uh, good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, flat top, round it, you know? Oh, why? Because he's white. Oh, okay. Kind of pissed me off a little bit because I'm, I'm Hispanic. I had the distinct impression that this, this was all racially charged, okay? There was, I say, a purpose to it. I knew that. I didn't know what it was. Was there a reason behind what they wanted? Yeah. It was a Grim Reaper, obviously, you know, with the gun. And the sheriff, it all made sense to me, you know? I guess you would want that, wouldn't you? The design that Leo drew that night appears to be an early version of the bandito tattoo that has been cited in lawsuits and shown in the news. But one night I saw that you guys posted up, that's a different design, it's different. Somewhere along the line, they added the Mexican, probably because they started adding Mexicans, Mexican cops, you know? The elements are still there, the same thing. Why do you think they would have changed? Uh, well, like I said, they started including Hispanics. I always wondered, man, you know, hey, how the fuck does that happen, man? You're going to get a, a Chicano to go against his own race like that. But I've seen something like that happen. How is it? You're with us now. You're better than that. We're the good guys. And then you're actually living it when you're, you know, when you're out on the streets because, you know, uh, the, with the reputations the sheriffs have and the, commun- the way the community responds around them, you start getting that feeling. I'm better than these people. All that, because they become your people. Members of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department say Danny Batanero, a.k.a. Batman, is one of the original 10 founding members of the Bandidos gang. Batanero was close with former Sheriff Alex Villanueva and even served as head of his security detail. Today's Bandidos are almost exclusively Latino personnel. The gang does not allow women or Black people to become full members. People who are allowed to become members are voted on. They share a tattoo on their legs of a skeleton with a bushy mustache wearing a sombrero and a bandolier. The skeleton also holds a pistol in its hands. Each of these tattoos are numbered sequentially. Many banditos have a history of prior violence inside of the downtown county jail facilities. On July 29, 2011, Juan Sanchez, a member of the Bandidos, beat Jose Zelaya, who had been arrested earlier that day, at the Twin Towers Correctional Facility. 
He sued and was awarded $300,000 by a jury. Taxpayers paid for that and attorney fees. According to court documents, current Bandito leadership includes Gregory Rodriguez, or G-Rod, David Silver Silverio, Michael Hernandez, or Bam Bam, Silvano Garcia, a.k.a. Cholo, Vincent Moran, Raymond Ray Ray Mendoza, and Rafael Rene Munoz, a.k.a. Big Listo, trained by former Sheriff Alex Villanueva himself. Big Listo was previously discharged from LASD because of a domestic violence incident, but rehired. Meetings are held in the home of Noel Lopez, also known as Crook. According to deputies, members of the Banditos have established a culture at the station of working backwards, meaning that people are arrested first, then probable cause is established later through manufactured evidence. Members tax trainees by giving them empty envelopes and telling them to have them filled with money by the end of the day. Banditos members approve of station activities like fundraisers, training parties, and staff barbecues and so-called roundtable sessions, circumventing station leadership. They use slang like essay and homes. People who do not follow their agenda are punished. Guadalupe Lopez joined the L.A. County Sheriff's Department in 2003 and started working at the East L.A. station in 2011. She was trained by field training officer Eric Valdez, an alleged member of the Banditos, referred to as the, quote, godfather of East L.A. During her first two weeks of training, Guadalupe quickly learned that the Banditos had a firm grip on how the station operated. She was assigned to work with Christopher Wargo, a prospective deputy gang member, also known as a, quote, puppy. She saw him purchase reports, meaning he would write arrest reports for other deputies already in the gang. She also says that she was subjected to sexual harassment by male deputies and members of the Banditos. One associate of the gang told her she needed to call her training officer daddy and that she needed to, quote, submit to the program of his so-called kids. Other women within the department told Guadalupe that submitting meant drinking, partying, and providing sexual favors to male deputies upon request. If she didn't comply, she would not pass her probationary training for patrol. She made it clear that she had no intention of engaging in these activities and was punished for it. Guadalupe was reassigned to field training officer Edwin Hernandez, who made it clear he was not down with the so-called godfather, Valdez, or any of his trainees. There was a power struggle between Hernandez and Valdez. People inside the department have told me it was similar to what happens in the 1992 film American Me, which depicts the creation of the Mexican Mafia. If you're not familiar, check out the podcast More Than a Movie. Like the lead character in the movie, Valdez was pushed out of the gang by younger, more aggressive deputies. He still appears to be working at the department and was promoted to the rank of sergeant. Guadalupe Lopez was continually harassed by the banditos and their associates after she spoke up. In November of 2011, she says that alleged banditos associate Andrew Hernandez leered at her breasts and made lewd remarks as she left the women's locker room. The next month, another associate demanded, with sexual implications, that she meet up with him alone, off-duty. During a priority call, Deputy Wargo blocked Guadalupe's patrol car in so she could not move. He ordered her out of the car and screamed, quote, You are a product of Valdez, and he is God at East LA Station, and if you don't submit to the program, you will have problems here. 
One month later, Deputy Andrew Hernandez screamed and cursed at her and told her, quote, you are on your own. Someone posted a fake department personnel transfer request in March 2012 with Guadalupe's name on it. She took the phony request to a sergeant who filed a policy of equity complaint on her behalf. Captain Henry Romero was also informed about the bandito's behavior. Romero offered Guadalupe a transfer. She did not think she deserved to be moved since she had done nothing wrong. Instead, she was moved to the day shift at East LA Station and several deputies implicated in her complaint were loaned out to other stations, but she still worked near Valdez. Guadalupe says after the POE was filed, she wasn't given enough time to finish administrative paperwork. Former Deputy Angel Reynosa described similar tactics in use at the Lancaster station in episode 9. I heard first heard the term um, paperfuck, which means get every call in the box, which is the box is like the call for services, and you'll, you'll end up with maybe 12 reports by the end of your shift that you will not finish by the end of your shift before the 24-hour period where you have to come back. They want to put you through so much stress that you just quit. Guadalupe says that supervisors refused to sign off on her reports. Detectives didn't file or investigate her cases. Dispatch did not respond to her calls or send backup. L.A. County residents were also subjected to the bandito's abuse. On August 23, 2012, deputies from the East L.A. station swarmed the 1300 block of South Mariana Avenue, Christopher Gray, a young black man originally from Idaho, had been a nuclear physics major in college and relocated to L.A. for work. The deputies detained Christopher's brother-in-law and took him into custody, according to his attorney, Olu Orange. Christopher watched the arrest while standing just off the curb in the street with his arms folded, with several yards between him and what was happening. Neighbors were filming the arrest. One deputy approached Christopher and told him to get back on the sidewalk. When he refused, Deputy Gregory Rodriguez, an alleged bandito also known as G-Rod, and four others, pounced. They grabbed Christopher and handcuffed him, then pushed him up against their car. They bent his hands so far behind his back that his fingers were visible peeking out behind his ears. His shoulders were severely damaged, which later required surgery. Christopher's attorney says that he was also beaten by deputies and called a monkey. In the police report, G-Rod lied and said that Christopher had tried to open the door of the patrol vehicle. The video shows that this never happened. Even so, Christopher was charged with intentionally obstructing a law enforcement officer from performing their duties. Orange says he was held in jail for about five days. On October 15, 2012, Christopher had another bad encounter with deputies. A deputy came to his house while he was moving his car into his driveway. He was detained, then battered, and had his car searched. The charges against him were dismissed by the prosecutor as soon as they saw video of the arrest. Christopher filed a civil rights lawsuit against L.A. County in October of 2013, which was settled for $549,000, paid for by taxpayers. Just a few days after Christopher was detained by Bandito G-Rod, Guadalupe Lopez's car was vandalized while parked at the East LA station. Two months later, on December 27, 2012, the Bandito's associates, who were temporarily moved as a result of Guadalupe's complaint, were returned to the station. In a civil rights lawsuit against LA County, 
She says she immediately felt chest pains and was diagnosed with a stress-induced pre-heart attack condition shortly after. She was placed on medical leave for one month, but when she returned in early 2013, the harassment kept up and she was put on medical leave for a second time. Guadalupe returned to the East LA station by April. On April 10th, she found a dead rat underneath the driver's side door of her car. The next day, someone wrote, fuck you, on the rear window and threw eggs on it. Rosa Gonzalez, another woman at the station, saw her experience change for the worse in 2013. After being given the day off and mentioning plans to visit Hawaii, she got a text message. It was sent to a group she was in with Deputy Jose Rauno. In the message, he used a disparaging sexist remark to describe her and said she was not going to make it into work today because she was going to Hawaii. Brownow confirmed he sent the message under oath. Rosa stayed at the station and continued to work with her head down. The banditos were also continuing to target East LA residents. On April 29th of 2013, alleged bandito shot caller Rafael Munoz, also known as Big Listo, and his partner responded to a call for service. According to a report from then Los Angeles District Attorney Jackie Lacey's office, a teenager had called 911 around 10.20 p.m. after being robbed at gunpoint for the keys to his father's Acura. The deputies spotted Edward Angel Ramirez near the on-ramp to the 60 freeway and broadcast their location. They put on their lights and began a pursuit. A helicopter joined in. Ramirez drove just over a mile west to the end of a cul-de-sac, got out, and began running. Big Listo pulled up behind him with his partner and ran after Edward. G-Rod had joined in the pursuit and was right behind them. They say Edward turned and pointed a gun at them, prompting them to shoot him. Edward kept running and tried to hide in an apartment building. He went door to door, holding the gun, telling people to get out. He climbed into one unit, whose occupants quickly hid in the bathroom and locked the door. Deputies from the Special Enforcement Bureau, also known as a SWAT team, set up a ladder outside of a window next to the bathroom and stationed a deputy with a gun. Edward called his mom, who lived nearby, and told her, quote, I guess this is it, and his daughter, that she would never see him again. An hour passed, and the unit's residents were evacuated down the ladder. Four SEB deputies were posted outside the front door. Their team sent in a robot with a camera to monitor Edward and ordered him to surrender over a PA system. LASD says that the crisis negotiator's attempts to reach Edward were unsuccessful. Then they deployed tear gas through the unit's windows. Edward opened the front door on his knees. One of the deputies says that he saw Edward holding a gun and he fired his MP5 submachine gun at him. Edward tried to shut the door, but there was debris in the way. Deputies say he tried to open it again with a gun in his hand, and two deputies shot at him again. The DA office's report says that the camera monitor showed Edward exiting the front door with something in his hand. Deputies say he came out shooting, prompting them to shoot. Edward was hit again and went down. One of the deputies says he sat back up, prompting him to continue firing. He then ran out of ammunition in his submachine gun and switched to a handgun to keep shooting. Edward died at the scene from multiple gunshot wounds. A revolver was found near his body with five spent casings and one live round in the cylinder. The DA found that the deputies, including Big Listo and G-Rod, 
acted in lawful self-defense and defense of one another when they killed Edward. Less than one month later, G-Rod killed someone else. At this point, he had been transferred to the Compton station. On May 23, 2013, at 7.25 p.m., he was driving with his partner on Bradfield Avenue when he saw 27-year-old Marquise Brown driving a black Pontiac northbound on the street. According to another DA report, the deputies say he was driving fast, so they got behind him with sirens. Marquise didn't stop. He turned into a cul-de-sac on Palmer Avenue and stopped the car and got out running. The deputies say that he reached for his waist, which made them think he had a gun. Marquise tried to climb the fence of a nearby home but fell backwards. The deputies say he landed on his feet and pointed a gun at them, so they shot him. Marquise was hit four times. The deputies say they recovered a pistol from the ground near him. He died later at a hospital. The DA concluded that G-Rod and his partner both acted lawfully in self-defense. Back in East L.A., Guadalupe Lopez tried to keep making something out of her career at LASD with no success. She signed up to take the sergeant's exam in July of 2013, but was unable to take it because of continued harassment, which she says was still happening, even though she wasn't coming into the station. The next month, her disability leave ended, and she was scheduled to return to regular work at the East L.A. station. She reached out to the Association for Los Angeles Deputy Sheriffs, the deputy union also known as ALADS. After several unsuccessful meetings with her union representative, she met with a division commander. She put in a transfer request and was loaned out to the Century Station. In December, she says she was informed that she would have to return to East L.A. immediately unless she requested a transfer. Her original request had never been filed. She filed a civil lawsuit against L.A. County in 2014 and eventually settled for $1.5 million, funded by taxpayers. But her attorney told me that the experience was too much. Guadalupe left LASD and California to try to leave the trauma behind her. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Rosa Gonzalez continued to work at the East L.A. station through 2014, but the gang decided to go after her again. Sergeant Angelica Patty Estrada is an associate of the Bandidos who uses the nickname the Pink Hand. That's a nod to the symbol of death within the Mexican mafia. Vincent Miller is an attorney who represents several deputies who have come forward to speak out against deputy gangs. He told me the pink hand is the, quote, brains of the operation behind the scenes. In July of that year, the pink hand assigned Rosa to mentor new deputies in preparation for becoming a field training officer. That was a position the banditos considered important. They wanted Big Listo in that position, where he'd be responsible for bringing new deputies up to speed on the East L.A. way. Suddenly, no one would respond to Rosa's calls for backup. A few days later, she was accused of hazing one of the rookies by Sergeant Peter Hish, an alleged Bandito's member, and removed from the position. She filed a complaint against Hish and Sergeant Joel Flores, who is an admitted Bandito. She was transferred to the Norwalk station against her will because her chief feared for her life. But the harassment continued, and she was passed over for a promotion. Rosa claims in her lawsuit, Hish directly interfered by manipulating her test score. LASD didn't investigate her complaint. Instead, they investigated her. She developed health issues and was removed from the field. Two years later, she filed the lawsuit against LASD, which was settled for $1 million in 2019, funded by taxpayers. By 2014, Deputy Gregory Rodriguez, or G-Rod, had killed two people and cost Los Angeles County about $550,000 for detaining Christopher Gray. He was also recognized as a shot caller within the Bandito's deputy gang. He was just getting started. In June of 2014, G-Rod was on patrol with Deputy Timothy Lee. Lee had violence in his background, too. On August 3rd, 2012, he and two other deputies punched, choked, and tasered Darren Burley, an unarmed black man, during a misdemeanor arrest. Darren died 12 days later in a hospital from a brain injury. His family sued and won a settlement of $8 million, funded by taxpayers. But G-Rod killing two people and Lee participating in a choking death attorneys have called incredibly similar to George Floyd's murder did not stop them from still being out on the street. They were stopped at a red light on Rosecrans and Long Beach Boulevard in Compton on June 24, 2014, just after 10 p.m. 24-year-old Antoine Hunter drove past them, heading east on Rosecrans. The deputies say they saw him make a sharp U-turn and began following him. The LASD manual says that vehicles can only be pursued if the vehicle is confirmed to be stolen, has known or suspected felons inside, if the people inside appear to be driving under the influence, or are displaying guns in an assaultive style, or if the car is fleeing from another crime. 
Antoine knew that deputies abused people. His father, Donald, was shot by deputies from the Compton station in 2006. In the past, deputies had dropped Antoine off in Latina gang areas where he would be in danger. The gang members would let him go because they witnessed the deputies set him up. Antoine also had a past with the criminal justice system from his childhood. He spent several years incarcerated for a robbery and attempted burglary stemming from an incident when he was 15. But he was out now and doing well. His mom told the Los Angeles Times he was attending a local community college and playing football. In three days, he would be off parole. Antoine was heading back from a funeral of a friend with his friend, Jeremy Evans. Antoine had a gun tucked into his waistband. His lawyer, Umberto Guizar, says that was for protection. That is understandable for that to happen in the South Central area from a funeral because they're under threat of gang members about to kill him. He was not out looking to, to shoot a cop or anything like that. The deputies say Antoine turned left into a neighborhood, blew a stop sign, and didn't complete a turn. Antoine's attorneys say the deputies collided with the back of his car, pushing him into a collision with a car parked on the corner. Timothy Lee had already been in three other traffic collisions, determined to be preventable, and had been assigned to desk duty as a result. The deputies parked their car behind Antoine, wedging him in, and got out with their guns drawn. They shot at him about 18 times. Uh, Mr. Evans, who was a passenger, didn't die. He got shot like four or five times as well. They clearly wanted to kill him. We did not know at the time that they were members of the deputy gang or any of that stuff. But I did have some evidence to show that Gregory Rodriguez was involved with serious misconduct in the Alley County Sheriff's Department. Things looked like they were starting to catch up to G-Rod. In 2016, he was charged with perjury by the office of District Attorney Jackie Lacey for lying in his police report about Christopher Gray. Once again, video evidence proved that a deputy had made everything up. He was relieved of duty, meaning he was still an employee, but not on the streets. His pay was later suspended, but a jury could not reach a verdict. They deadlocked with eight of 12 in favor of dismissing. The LA deputy district attorney said the office would not refile charges and the judge dismissed the case. The banditos continued to operate unchecked. Deputies working at the East LA station say that the banditos became more violent in 2017. Eric Valdez, the so-called godfather of East L.A., was no longer the head of the gang. Big Listo was now the top shot caller. According to deputies working at the station, everyone knew about the gang by this point. Deputies Alfred Gonzalez, Oscar Escobedo, Ariela Limas, Art Hernandez, Mario Contreras, David Casas, Luis Granados, and Benjamin Zaradini filed complaints stating that the environment at the station had become toxic. The deputies said the gang would not allow rookies on patrol training to eat during their shift. They would also force them to work long hours and pay taxes to the banditos. David Casas said he was harassed by the banditos starting upon his arrival to East LA in 2016 and taxed by the gang twice. Mario Contreras said Big Listo harassed him for over two years over the patrol vehicle's computer, beginning in February 2017. Oscar Granado said in a civil lawsuit he saw some of this harassment. He also stated that the banditos' so-called brothers pushed Latino deputies to make arrests by enforcing illegal arrest quotas. 
People who did not comply were punished with extra calls at the end of their shift. Alfred Gonzalez said the banditos would stare down Latino deputies at the station. When he arrived in May 2017, he was blacklisted by the gang and treated with open hostility. Benjamin Zaradini had a unique perspective into the gang. He had even tried to become a member. His relationship with the banditos changed when he thought they went too far. Throughout 2017, Biglisto confronted Art Hernandez repeatedly. He would mock Hernandez's work performance in messages over department communication channels and told him to go work somewhere else. Biglisto said that Hernandez's style of policing was, quote, not the East LA way. In June 2017, Hernandez was sent out on his first murder call. Biglisto sent a message over the vehicle computer system instructing East LA deputies not to back Hernandez up. That was too much for Zaradini. He responded to the call for help with his trainee Alfred Gonzalez and was placed on the blacklist. When he was back at the station, Bandito's member Ray Ray sucker punched Zaradini behind the building and knocked him unconscious. Ariella Limas was harassed by the Banditos after becoming Deputy Zaradini's trainee in 2017. The gang's members told her she did not, quote, come from a good bloodline. They asked her to perform sexual favors in order to advance in the department. She reported Ray Ray to Captain Ernie Chavez, a member of the Vikings, who told her he would do nothing. The Banditos continued to go after other deputies who did not follow their program. Oscar Escobedo said the banditos began harassing him in September 2017. He also got threatening messages and was pushed to arrest as many people as possible. David Casas and Art Hernandez were summoned to a meeting with banditos member David Silver Silverio. Big Listo joined, and the two men pressured Casas and Hernandez to leave the station. The banditos continued to abuse the residents of East LA, too. On November 16, 2017, Maria Veronica Solis Munoz was standing on the corner of South Indiana Street and Whittier Boulevard with her two sons, nine-year-old Marco Antonio Hernandez and seven-year-old Jose Luis Hernandez. Bandito's member Vincent Moran was riding in a patrol car with his latest trainee, Deputy Carrie Robles Placentia, at the wheel. As she drove quickly toward the intersection without sirens, she ran a red light. She hit another car, which pushed her patrol vehicle onto the sidewalk and into Maria and her kids. The two boys died shortly after the crash. Maria had a crushed pelvis and several broken bones. Several other pedestrians were injured. No charges were filed against Robles Placentia by the office of then-District Attorney Jackie Lacey due to a, quote, lack of evidence. This is despite the fact that an investigation by the Los Angeles Police Department found that Robles Placentia's decision to drive through the intersection, quote, without due regard for the safety of all persons, caused the crash. Court documents show that LASD's internal affairs investigation was on hold until after the criminal case wrapped up, just one week before Sheriff Alex Villanueva took office in December 2018. Like Big Listo, Robles Placentia had a close relationship with Villanueva, even calling him and his wife mom and dad. Maria filed a civil lawsuit against L.A. County in 2018, which settled for $17.5 million, funded by taxpayers. 
Robles Placentia was promoted to work in Villanueva's office inside the L.A. County Hall of Justice. By 2018, Silver was training deputies at the East L.A. station. He was assigned to train deputy Concepcion Hernandez-Garcia, who goes by Connie that March, and immediately created a hostile environment. I asked an actor to read portions of Connie's testimony about that time. There's not one thing I do correctly. According to him, I should go back to custody because, according to him, 99% of what I do is incorrect. For example, if I put a space after a comma, he loses it. He would slam the computer cover down. Slam it. When I was reading off of it, if I was taking too long, he would slam it shut so I had to move it out of the way. He would drive erratic. He would slam his hand on the steering wheel if I had answered a question the wrong way. I didn't feel safe. Then, Silver began touching her without her consent. First, he held her hand. Several days later, the two of them were called out to a home for a domestic violence incident. They approached the front door with Connie in front of Silver. Before I could even say anything, I felt a hand on my butt push forward hard enough for me to take a step forward. It wasn't close to my belt. It was right in the center of my butt. I wouldn't have cared if it would have been on my back or shoulder, but when I felt his hand right on my buttock, that's what made me uncomfortable. It's making me upset just talking about it again. I was in shock. It felt degrading. It was not something I expected. Not on training, not in a uniform, not ever. She says she wasn't sure anyone would believe her. I honestly don't know why I didn't say something at the time. It didn't feel like I was going to be believed. I'm kicking myself for not saying something to him right away. When we debriefed, I know he thought about what he did because he said, you can't stand in the doorway, that's the hot zone. Sometimes you need a push. I kind of felt like he was just trying to justify his actions of or how he did it. On July 15th, 2018, shortly after Connie's mother died, Silver used a Spanish-language slur that insulted her mother. I was upset. I got out of the car, and I kept walking. I wanted to quit. I started walking, and he was calling me out of the window of the car. I didn't care. I didn't want to be a deputy. I walked into the station. I was shaking. I was that upset. I walked to my locker. It upset me so much because it felt like he was taking the best out of me. I went and I washed my face, put water on my face, and I went outside. And I told him exactly like this. You made a lot of comments, but do not talk about my family. I was actually crying. I was more upset about myself for allowing him to get me that way. Connie filed a complaint and was placed on administrative leave. Silver remained at the East L.A. station. Connie was contacted by Gary Sakai, a deputy compliance officer, who decided that her claims did not warrant an internal investigation or discipline for Silver. Connie was transferred to the Century Station about a week later, but the Banditos had sent word ahead of her arrival, damaging her reputation.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Deputies Granados and Zeradini took their concerns about the banditos to supervisors in spring 2018. They met with Lieutenant Richard Mejia, who opened an investigation into the gang. Granados and Zeradini's attorney, Vince Miller, told me things only got worse. The pink hand told the banditos that the whistle had been blown after Granados gave a statement to Mejia. Biglisto began sending Granados threatening messages and not providing backup. Zeradini was demoted from the training officer position, and both men were passed over for a promotion. The complaint never amounted to anything. Court documents state that Lieutenant Eric Smithson altered Mejia's memo on the Bandito's orders via Chief Bob Denham, but someone was determined to keep speaking out. In the summer of 2018, an anonymous letter from a deputy at the East L.A. station was sent to LASD administration and the L.A. County Board of Supervisors. It detailed the working conditions at the East L.A. station and named Big Listo, the Pink Hand, the Godfather of East L.A., Lieutenant Smithson, and others as banditos. Neither the department nor the Board of Supervisors took action. The banditos continued business as usual. Unsuspecting East L.A. residents found themselves caught up in the Banditos program. Anthony Vargas grew up in the Maravilla projects in a close-knit family. He had like a really high interest in music. Uh, his music interests, his genres of music would range from like listening to oldies all the way to listening to Black Sabbath. He always took care of uh, people around him. We have a lot of kids in the family, so growing up, like, all the younger kids would always hang on to him. And, you know, he was a big kid, so all the little ones were always just, you know, hanging on to his arms, onto his back. And he was like a 
the teddy bear. During that summer, he got into fishing a lot. He had led Bible studies in the Maravilla projects for years, and he was still trying to figure out life. I think like what all of us are trying to do at 21, you know? These are Anthony's aunts, Valerie Vargas and Stephanie Luna. The three of them spent a lot of time together as a family. The night of August 12th, Anthony had just got back from attending a prayer vigil. One of his friends who lived in the projects was killed. It was actually a friend that, you know, we had all known. We grew up in the projects. And so he was leading a prayer circle at the site of where this young man was killed. And, you know, after that, he went to a barbecue with his friends because, you know, when you have a posada, that's what you do. You have a prayer at the site, and then you go to the family's house, and you have a barbecue, you have pozole, you have food, and you just hang out and you reflect on memories of the individual that had passed away. As the night wore on, everyone started to wonder where Anthony was. Anthony wasn't the type of kid to not, you know, give a phone call of, oh, hey, grandma, you know, I'm okay, I'll I'll see you guys in a little bit. He was always the type of kid to pick up the phone, and he was a really big grandma's boy, so he always made sure grandma knew where he was all the time. And so hours had passed, hadn't heard from Anthony. We had started, you know, just texting like, oh, Anthony, um, you know, are you okay? Where are you at? My sister, Anthony's mom had called and she was frantic and she had told my mom, we need to go to the project. Somebody got shot and we can't get a hold of Anthony. So everybody headed down to the projects to find out what was going on. During this time, we were all consistently Texting Anthony, you know, from multiple phones, calling Anthony, his phone was going straight to voicemail, which was extremely, extremely odd because, like I said, Anthony was the type of person when he left the house, phone is fully charged, you text, you call, he picks up. Hours later, Valerie had finished her shift at work and went to meet her relatives. The family still didn't know what happened, and were still waiting for the news at the site of the shooting. I just remember pulling up into the back parking lot. About this time, it was like 7 in the morning, and there was already a news van outside. And But I guess what was happening was the deputies were telling anyone who was there to stand behind the, the you know this yellow tape, and the yellow tape kept getting further and further. Where Anthony was, it's like a hill, so you couldn't really see down there. And we were like on the upper part of the parking lot. And I just remember like getting off the car and trying to see like if I could see somebody on the ground because we we just needed like to know it wasn't Anthony on that ground. They still did not know that the sheriff's deputies were responsible for the shooting. We found out that it was a deputy killing from a, new, a news reporter. The situation just got even more heated because what was happening was uh, we were all trying to like see if it was if it was Anthony and I remember like uh, Anthony's twin like trying to go forward and the deputies were like just degrading them they were calling them like homophobic and like like transphobic slurs and that's when my sister Anthony's mom had told him like you're gonna let me cross this tape I'm gonna cross this tape we found out that it was Anthony was when my uh, Anthony's mom had gave them the ultimatum of letting her see who was underneath that white sheet. And if they didn't, she had threatened to just run across the field and they were going to have to arrest her. And that was the first time that she was able to positively identify uh, Anthony was when he was, uh, I believe he was in the body bag and he was being zipped up and they just unzipped enough for her to see the curls and one of his eyes 
At the time, we didn't understand why, but I mean, now it's apparent because he was shot, you know, in his head and he had a bullet come out of his mouth. According to the district attorney's investigation into the shooting, LASD dispatch put out a call for robbery at gunpoint that night. Bandito's prospects Nicholas Perez and Jonathan Rojas responded and drove into the Maravilla projects, where they spotted Anthony walking home. The deputies say they told Anthony to stop, but he ran and fell down. Perez says he thought Anthony had a gun and punched him in the head repeatedly. Both deputies say Anthony wrestled with them, which made them think he was going to kill them with the gun they thought he had in his waistband. Both deputies opened fire on Anthony hitting him 13 times. Here's the Vargas family attorney, Umberto Guizar, on Perez. I think he's an evil, evil human being. He's a killer, clearly. We have independent witnesses that say he had nothing in his hands and he turned to face the officers with his hands raised up in the air to surrender. And that Perez was one of the officers that straight up just shot him down. And even after he fell on the ground and was shot, he walked up to him and shot him three more times. That witness is a former volunteer to Sheriff Block, and he's testified that he's always supported the police. But when he saw this, he could not believe that they would murder an innocent man like this, and it was murder, nothing less. A criminalist said under oath that the gun deputies recovered from the scene of the shooting had no fingerprints on it. The deputies testified they never saw it in Anthony's hands. There wasn't any blood on the gun either, which is very strange given that Anthony bled profusely from his wounds as he lay dying. Two other experts said they found two DNA profiles on the gun, but no tests were run to find out whose DNA it was. Sergeant Sarah Rodriguez arrived at the scene and turned Anthony over to detangle his arm from Rojas's radio cord. And her testimony said that she saw a gun flying in the air. There's no explanation for seeing a gun flying in the air. There's no logical explanation. And that was the gun that allegedly Anthony Vargas had. And I try to pin her on it over and over. You would agree, you said in your statements, the gun was flying in the air. Well, I meant to say I saw it. What does flying mean? Explain it for me. Levitation is flying, right? Something, was it like a flying saucer? But you saw a gun in the air when they turned his body over. So the inference is very strong that she saw them throw the gun down. The planet. That was her first day in East L.A. She was threatened. That's what we hear happens. And she went with the program. When I took her deposition, she was scared to death. She looked like she was going to have a breakdown. So this is where the irony comes. She became an internal affairs officer. She's in internal affairs now. The sheriff's department never apologized to the Vargas family for killing Anthony, but they did make a bizarre gesture. August 12th in the, uh, I would say maybe about three, four o'clock, it was sometime in the afternoon, there was a deputy that showed up at our front door with a tray of chicken and offered his condolences. Whatever sense of myself that I had, I felt, I felt myself losing it. Like, I felt it drain out of my body because when I seen that deputy, like, walking down there and just, I knew at that moment that, like, it was wrong. What happened was wrong. Like, I felt something, like, a change inside of me where I knew that, like, I was never going to, like, lay down and say, 
rest in peace, Anthony, because, you know, he, he didn't die peaceful. He died brutally. Then-District Attorney Jackie Lacey concluded that Perez and Rojas acted in self-defense when they killed Anthony in February 2020. The family filed a federal civil rights lawsuit, which is still making its way through the court. They assert that Perez earned full member status in the Bandidos by killing Anthony. Interestingly enough, following the shooting, both Rojas and Perez were promoted before the internal reviews on their actions in the shooting for discipline were completed. Since the shooting, Anthony's family has been consistently harassed by deputies. It's been a long four years, you know, and it's been four years filled with a lot of harassment. It's been four years filled with a lot of intimidation. We seen Nicholas Perez yesterday, you know, down the street from our home. We've been followed so many times throughout the years. Now I have a dash cam. I can't even drive a car without a dash cam. And when I'm driving, I have to, I'm like constantly looking at all my three mirrors, trying to make sure to see if I see a pattern of a car that's behind me that's switching lanes. Like I can never just drive straight. And as time started to pass and the harassment started to get more frequent when we were speaking out at certain engagements, we started noticing a pattern and we started seeing it more aggressive. You know, we were having them passing by the house waving at the kids. We were having them pulling into our driveway to do reverses when there's a, so many other driveways on the block that they can turn into. They would consistently turn into ours. Um, you know, we've had them following my mom when she was coming back from a lupus appointment mm -hmm. and she had a, a unit on the side of her and a deputy was waving at her. And, you know, my mom's elder, she's 70 years old and you know, my mom came home rattled that day. The deputy that rolled my nephew's lifeless body over and handcuffed him is consistently stalking us on social media. Despite all of this, they continue to speak out about Anthony. I am not afraid of the sheriffs. If anything, I welcome them to fucking challenge anything and everything that we're doing uh, because we've learned over the years, we've learned and we've grown and we know, you know, what is within our right. And they've helped us, you know, they've empowered us and emboldened us to to keep keep pushing and keep fighting the way that we're fighting and to do it without fear. Because I think once you have any type of fear and they know it, that's when they they move on you the most. And that's when they start doing things to you the most because they they want you quiet. They don't want you speaking out. They don't want you showing up. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, 
you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. On September 26, 2018, Deputy Alfred Gonzalez was getting dressed in the locker room at the end of his shift. Big Listo, G-Rod, and Vincent Moran turned up and began pressuring Gonzalez to follow the illegal arrest quotas, work overtime without pay, or quit. The next day, September 27, 2018, the East LA station held a party for rookies who completed their training at Kennedy Hall, an event space nearby. On-duty personnel were assigned to be designated drivers so attendees could drink. Alex Villanueva, who was elected as sheriff a few weeks later, was also in attendance. Silver G-Rod Big Listo, Silvano Cholo Garcia, Hector Little Listo Soto Saavedra, Braulio Robledo, and Michael Bam Bam Hernandez, a bandito then assigned to Men's Central Jail, showed up too. This was unusual because banditos didn't generally attend these kinds of things. Attorney Vincent Miller says they were there to beat up Gonzalez, but found other people who did not conform to their program to victimize. Once Villanueva left and the party began winding down around midnight on September 28th, Gonzalez walked his friend to her car. He heard Silver calling his name. Silver yelled that he heard bad things about Gonzalez and that he had no respect for him. A crowd began to form around the two men. Bam Bam, who witnesses say looked drunk, began to join in. He said he had no problem physically assaulting Gonzalez, as there was, quote, no one here who would do anything. According to witnesses, he continued, I have no problem fucking with you and your family, and if I can't do it directly, I can find someone that can. This is East L.A. I grew up here. Some of the other deputies were able to get them to stop, but around 3.30 a.m., G-Rod approached Gonzalez and said he wanted to talk to him. Deputy Jose Fuentes tried to calm G-Rod down. G-Rod got in his face and bumped his forehead into Fuentes's and pushed him. Art Hernandez saw what was happening and grabbed G-Rod, telling him to let it go. Big Listo ran over and tackled the three of them to the floor, then punching Hernandez in the mouth. Four other deputies had to pull Big Listo off of him. The banditos wouldn't back down. Bam Bam shoved Fuentes across the parking lot and into the street. Then he went after Oscar Escobedo and held him in a headlock and punched him. Escobedo says he told him, I've been waiting for you. Deputy Braulio Robledo, an alleged bandito's prospect, egged on the banditos and yelled, quote, Say something now. Say something now. Deputies Christopher Moore and James Duran, both Bandito's associates, watched and did nothing. Gonzalez yelled for them to get units to stop the attacks. 
Moore responded, quote, let me get Ray Ray, referring to Raymond Mendoza, another bandito on duty at the station. Escobedo was thrown to the ground as more people began to kick and punch him. Silver held him down as the attack continued. He was able to stand up, but was sucker punched to the ground by Bam Bam. Hernandez tried to intervene, but was knocked unconscious. The banditos continued to beat him as he lay there. Escobedo was able to break free from the beating, but Bam Bam pinned him against a fence in the parking lot and began to choke Escobedo with his own shirt. Deputies Eduardo Muniz and David Casas tried to pull Bam Bam off, but were attacked themselves. Escobedo was able to get away and to Gonzalez, who was waiting nearby in his car. Casas followed and climbed into the driver's seat and drove them away. Hernandez was eventually escorted to his car by another deputy. G-Rod, Big Listo, Silver, and Cholo got into Cholo's car and drove to the East LA station, looking for the guys they just beat up. According to Hernandez, there is a video that shows them preparing a cover story. Escobedo and Hernandez both went to the hospital. Hernandez was treated for a concussion and given stitches. Afterwards, the two of them, along with Gonzalez, Zeradini, Casas, Luis Granados, and Ariel Alimas, filed a lawsuit against LA County, which is ongoing. After it was filed, the banditos didn't give Zeradini backup on a call regarding an alleged shooting. Only Lemus, his former trainee, came to help him. The banditos left dead rats outside of both of their homes, twice, which they say is a message of threat on their lives. After Sheriff Alex Villanueva swearing in in December 2018, the investigation into the Kennedy Hall fight wrapped up quickly. Captain Ernie Chavez admitted under oath that Villanueva had him ignore the gang element of the beating. He also said that while Villanueva touted 36 transfers from the East LA station as discipline, that never happened. Big Listo, Silver, G-Rod, and Bam Bam were put on a leave of absence. Bam Bam ended up retiring. Cholo left on his own, as did the Pink Hand. But Vincent Moran was allowed to keep working at the East LA station. Ray Ray Mendoza was promoted to the detective bureau. Danny Batanero, one of the OGs of the Banditos, was made head of Villanueva's security detail in February of 2019. Deputy killings in East LA continued. 18-year-old resident Paul Rea was aware of what deputies could do. My name is Leah Garcia, and I'm Paul's mother. My family, they had told me, like, they they don't play around. They, you know, they have gangs within. And I was like, really? And to me, when I think about a policeman, a sheriff, anything, I think, okay, gangs, like, that doesn't even sound right, you know? I spoke to Leah a few weeks ago. Paul's youngest brother, who just turned one, was there too. You might hear him in the background. When Paul was just seven years old, his brother's father, 18-year-old Salvador Zapeda Alarcon, was killed by sheriff's deputies from the East L.A. station. It was a birthday party. Balloon popped or something like that. That's what the call was initially. There was a lot of witnesses that said that he put his hands up. And um, they said, no, he pulled a gun. Several witnesses stated they saw deputies plant a gun on Salvador. They found out, too, it was like an air pistol. I'll be very honest. A couple of weeks before that, my friend got pulled over. It's just, like, so weird because my friend's son had got an air pistol gun for his birthday or something like that. So she had it in his trunk because he was too small to play with it. When they pulled her over, they took that gun. And then it was not the same one. I'm not saying it was the same one, but that's, like, little things that they would do. You know what I mean? 
After Salvador's death, deputies began pulling her over regularly. That's one of the things that, including Paul, that they saw, my kids. So during those, like, those probably first two years after his death, I got harassed a lot, a lot. But I just didn't know where to turn. I didn't know where, who to, to even tell, like, who would even listen to me. They'll probably not even believe these stories that occurred, you know, like, seeing with my own eyes, them go to my son's father's spot, kicking all his candles, going to my son's father's spot, taking anybody that was right there, taking them to jail. There was a lot of bad things, like, that they would do. Put me in the police car and my kids screaming in the back, you know, like, in in my car in the back seat. And I remember one occasion where Paul was, like, screaming his head off. I'm Janae Rea, and I'm Paul's sister. I have always feared the sheriff since I was little because I had seen what they, you know, would do to us when we'd be right there at my brother's dad's memorial. They'll just literally come pull up in 10 sheriff cars and start putting everybody in back of the police car. And they'll be saying they'll be like, OK, while you're going on gang file, you're going on gang file. They didn't care if you weren't from a gang. You were in that area. Just over 10 years later. Paul met an eerily similar fate. That morning, it was so weird as well because it was just me, well, my do- my oldest daughter, him, and myself in the car, and he was just expressing his love for us. It was like he was like, had an older soul. Like, he was just so advanced for his, even since he was like two months, he was just very advanced. On June 27, 2019, 18-year-old Paul Rea was riding with his friend down Gearhart Avenue in East L.A. around 11 p.m. Paul's grandmother lived on the street. I had got like an alert that there was an officer involved shooting on Gearhart. So I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I worry too much. You know, I'm thinking to myself. So I walked to the store, and then I had like a big, like a big gulp in my hand, and I just hear my girl screaming, like screaming from the top of their lungs. Mom, it was Paul. Somebody had called them and told them, like, hey, it was your brother. But they're saying that the passenger, he died. According to a district attorney report, deputies Hector Littlelisto Saavedra, an alleged Bandidos prospect, and Argelia Huerta spotted the friends and stopped them for allegedly running a stop sign. Paul's friends said in statements that he was followed by deputies after leaving a marijuana dispensary and pulled over at a stop sign. One deputy opened the door, pointed a gun in his face, and told him to place his hands on the steering wheel or she would blow his head off. His car was searched, his weed confiscated, and he was cuffed and put in the back of a patrol vehicle. The deputies say they asked Paul to get out of the car, and he ran. Like other cases, LASD claims to have recovered a handgun from the scene. Paul's friend was taken back to the station and allegedly beaten and threatened by a number of deputies. I'm wanting to go to the sheriff's station because I want to see what happened. When I walk in there, um, I tell them, like, you know, there's an officer. I want to know if it's my son. They asked me to write his name on a paper and my name, I think. And I do that. I'm waiting. No one's coming back out. They're, they go behind the doors. No one's coming back out. And then I just hear everybody laughing. And I walk out of there. I had the car door open, and I was just praying. And I can remember these words, like my daughter... I guess she pulled up in the car and she just said, like, put her arms around me. So we're going to get justice for him. I just freaked out. Um, like they had to hold me down. Um, like for days I had like leaves in my hair because I was just like rolling on the floor. 
In October 2019, a few months after Paul was killed, his sister Jaylene attended a town hall event held by LASD in Temple City. A deputy in uniform took her photo. Afterwards, Jaylene went to the street where Paul was killed to build an altar for Dia de los Muertos. Deputies drove by and made rude hand gestures, then arrested her friends. Jaylene was arrested herself and driven recklessly around the streets of East L.A. until 1 o'clock in the morning, according to a lawsuit. There's the sheriff, yep. like, praying around his memorial, laughing, flipping us off. It's crazy how, like, you know, but the sheriffs will say, like, I'm make the, making this up, you know, I'm making it up. Like, what am I getting out of it? What am I getting out of it? Yeah. This is not something I want to live, you know? But it, it, it has happened to us and us and our family where um, there's certain deputies that will pass by Paul's. They'll tell me, like, what's up? Like, but, you know, like, they're just a, like a regular gang member on the street. Like, hey, what's up? Like, like, tell me what's up. Or just, like, laughing at us, laughing, pointing at us, mm-hmm. just I mean, that's taunting us. Or they'll pull up, like, I'm at a gas station, like, oh, so where are you from? What gang are you from? Or they're like, where do you live now? And they made it seem like we were crazy. They're like, are you sure it was, like, in a patrol car? Was it they have the green jacket on? Was it sheriff? Over and over, are you sure? I never, ever want to be around you guys. Why would we continuously make lies upon you guys when when we're trying to get away from you guys? Paul's family and the friend who was driving filed a complaint against L.A. County in February 2020, which is pending. Deputy Robert Coyle, who is white, was assigned to the East Los Angeles station shortly after Paul's death. Immediately, he was harassed by Bandito's members. When he followed policy, the Bandidos responded by encouraging him to follow their program by working backwards. He says he saw Eduardo Muniz, now a member of the Bandidos, slam a handcuffed person's face into the hood of a car in an unlawful use of force. When he did not adhere to this agenda, Deputy Braulio Robledo and other Bandidos affiliates stopped giving Coyle backup and overwhelmed him with calls. Coyle requested a transfer out of the station, which he says the Bandidos seized on to spread rumors about him. While working overtime at the Marina del Rey station, Bradley Liberator, an alleged member of the regulators, sent harassing messages over the patrol vehicle computer. Liberator also pulled Coyle over without probable cause while he was driving in Compton. Coyle's claim against LA County is still ongoing. In June 2019, Deputy Connie Garcia, who had been harassed by banditos for years, filed a civil lawsuit against L.A. County. The case went to trial this year, and she was awarded $825,000 by a jury. But Judge Curtis Kinn recently ordered a reduction of that by $250,000 because it was, quote, excessive. By December of 2019, one of Anthony Vargas's killers had killed another person. On December 16th, Jorge Serrano was walking on 4th Street near Dittman Avenue in East Los Angeles. Christian Contreras represents the Serrano family along with Humberto Guizar. We all have a right to consensually talk to police. If I'm walking down the street and a police officer wants to talk to me, I could just ignore him because there's no reasonable suspicion to detain me. There's no probable cause to arrest me. Perez, who was in a car with another deputy, began following Jorge, who ran. Perez chased after him and shot him seven times. The deputies chased him down the street. And prior to Mr. Serrano going down Ford Street, the deputies shoot him. 
they shoot him. He was at, at a corner and then he turned and down 4th Street and he begins running. When he turned that corner, immediately at the outset of that encounter, the deputies shoot him and they strike him. And that causes Mr. Serrano to bleed. And he is bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. And on the street, you see drops of blood, a trail of blood. And at some point, halfway down the block on 4th Street, and by that time, witnesses were already out. There's four witnesses who saw the shooting. Mr. Serrano decides to give up. He stops, turns around, and puts his hands up. And at that time, Deputy Thompson shoots, Deputy Perez shoots, and then Deputy Thompson shoots again and finishes him off. And one witness describes the shooting as murder, that they murdered him on the street. And he had his hands up straight up in the air, and they murdered him. So that's the, the, the general occurrence in that case. You know, someone who was walking down the street, runs away. Yes, did have a gun, but threw it away. Runs away, is shot, decides to give up. And as he has his hands up, he's shot and killed by, by deputies. And four witnesses saw what happened to say it was a murder, to say that they clearly saw his hands up and they shot him in cold blood. We have good evidence to deter in the sense that there's 13 shots, 10 of them are directly in the back, two of them are in the back of the head, one is directly in the middle of the head, and one is a grazing shot from the, to the middle of the head out, but one is directly in the middle of the, of the head that comes out of his mouth. And so that to me is gangland style execution. The Serrano family civil lawsuit against the county is pending. The district attorney has not decided whether the officers will be charged. The DA's office elected not to charge Bandito's affiliates Bam Bam, Big Listo, G-Rod, and Silver in the Kennedy Hall attack in February 2020. A report by the Los Angeles County Office of Inspector General found that the internal investigation was not sufficient and did not follow department procedure, even going as far as to call it a cover-up. In August of 2021, Bandito's associates Pedro Guerrero Gonzalez and Noel Lopez were charged with one count of filing a false report and one count of perjury, respectively. After asking another deputy to lie, Guerrero Gonzalez wrote in his report, a man who was taken into custody threw a rifle during a raid. In reality, the man was holding a video game controller. Noel Lopez also included the lie in a sworn declaration, according to prosecutors and witness testimony. The case is making its way through the court. Bandito's affiliates Jonathan Miramontes and Woodrow Kim were charged with covering up assaulting a passenger of a car being pursued by LASD deputies. The other occupants were later killed by deputies, including a 3,000 boys associate. Kim and Miramontes followed the man who exited the car and drove into him, striking him with the door of their patrol vehicle. Video shows the man being launched several feet. A judge dismissed counts against deputies in a preliminary hearing in September, which is rare. In spite of the deep-rooted history of abuse you've heard on this podcast, deputies are still portrayed as heroes on television shows and movies. Maybe you've even seen some. Studies show that it has an impact on how people think and treat the people around them. Next week, we'll be looking at what copaganda does to your beliefs. 
and a TV show all about deputy gangs. H-double-O-D, the whole hood know me. Fuck the police, I'm a fucking hood trophy. You've been listening to A Tradition of Violence, a history of deputy gangs in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Hosted and executive produced by Cerise Castle. Voice acting by Raisa Licea. Music by Yellow Hill and Steels. If you're enjoying A Tradition of Violence, please give us a five-star rating and leave a written review. We want to hear from you. If you have a question about deputy gangs or the LSD, please send an email to lasdgangs at gmail.com. For breaking news and updates on deputy gangs, follow at lasdgangs on social media. To support Cerise's reporting and for exclusive bonus content, subscribe to the LASD Gangs Patreon. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn. Alliances will shift and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash the shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.